Chapter 18 of Charlotte Temple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Preston. Charlotte Temple by Susanna Rosen. Chapter 18 Reflections And am I indeed fallen so low, said Charlotte, as to be only pitied? Will the voice of approbation no more meet my ear? And shall I never again possess a friend whose face will wear a smile of joy whenever I approach? Alas! How thoughtless, how dreadfully imprudent have I been! I know not which is most painful to endure, the sneer of contempt or the glance of compassion, which is depicted in the various countenances of my own sex. They are both equally humiliating. Ah! My dear parents, could you now see the child of your affections, the daughter whom you so dearly loved, a poor solitary being without society, here wearing out her heavy hours in deep regret and anguish of heart, no kind friend of her own sex to whom she can unbosom her griefs, no beloved mother, no woman of character will appear in my company, and lo, as your Charlotte is fallen, she cannot associate with infamy. These were the painful reflections which occupied the mind of Charlotte. Montreville had placed her in a small house a few miles from New York. He gave her one female attendant and supplied her with what money she wanted. But business and pleasure so entirely occupied his time that he had little to devote to the woman whom he had brought from all her connections and robbed of innocence. Sometimes, indeed, he would steal out at the close of evening and pass a few hours with her, and then so much was she attached to him that all her sorrows were forgotten while blessed with his society. She would enjoy a walk by moonlight or sit by him in a little arbor at the bottom of the garden and play on the harp, accompanying it with her plaintive, harmonious voice. But often, very often, did he promise to renew his visits and forgetful of his promise, leave her to mourn her disappointment. What painful hours of expectation would she pass? She would sit at a window which looked toward a field he used to cross, counting the minutes and straining her eyes to catch the first glimpse of his person, till blinded with tears of disappointment, she would lean her head on her hands and give free vent to her sorrows, then catching at some new hope, she would again renew her watchful position till the shades of evening enveloped every object in a dusky cloud. She would then renew her complaints, and, with a heart bursting with disappointed love and wounded sensibility, retire to a bed which remorse had strewed with thorns and court in vain that comforter of weary nature, whom seldom visits the unhappy to come and steep her senses in oblivion. Who can form an adequate idea of the sorrow that preyed upon the mind of Charlotte, the wife whose breast glows with affection to her husband, 
and who in return meets only indifference, can but faintly conceive her anguish. Dreadfully painful is the situation of such a woman, but she has many comforts of which our poor Charlotte was deprived. The duteous, faithful wife, though treated with indifference, has one solid pleasure within her own bosom. She can reflect that she has not deserved neglect, that she has ever fulfilled the duties of her station with the strictest exactness. She may hope, by constant assiduity and unremitted attention, to recall her wanderer and be doubly happy in his returning affection. She knows he cannot leave her to unite himself to another. He cannot cast her out to poverty and contempt. She looks around her and sees the smile of friendly welcome or the tear of affectionate consolation on the face of every person whom she favors with her esteem. And from all these circumstances she gathers comfort. But the poor girl by thoughtless passion led astray, who in parting with her honor has forfeited the esteem of the very man to whom she has sacrificed everything dear and valuable in life, feels his indifference in the fruit of her own folly, and laments her want of power to recall his lost affection. She knows there is no tie but honor, and that in a man who has been guilty of seduction is but very feeble. He may leave her in a moment to shame and want. He may marry and forsake her forever. And should he, she has no redress, no friendly, soothing companion to pour into her wounded mind the balm of consolation, no benevolent hand to lead her back to the path of rectitude. She has disgraced her friends, forfeited the good opinion of the world, and undone herself. She feels herself a poor solitary being in the midst of surrounding multitudes. Shame bows her to the earth. Remorse tears her distracted mind, and guilt, poverty, and disease close the dreadful scene. She sinks unnoticed to oblivion. The finger of contempt may point out to some passing daughter of youthful mirth, the humble bed where lies this frail sister of mortality. And will she, in the unbounded gaiety of her heart, exult in her own unblemished fame and triumph over the silent ashes of the dead oh no has she a heart of sensibility she will stop and thus address the unhappy victim of folly thou houtst thy faults but sure thy sufferings have expiated them thy errors brought thee to an early grave but thou wert a fellow creature thou hadst thy faults but sure thy sufferings have expiated them. Thy errors brought thee to an early grave, but thou wert a fellow creature, thou hast been unhappy. Then be those errors forgotten. Then as she stoops to pluck the noxious weed from off the sod, a tear will fall and consecrate the spot to charity. Forever honored be the sacred drop of humanity, the angel of mercy shall record its source, and the soul from whence it sprang shall be immortal. My dear madam, contract not your brow into a frown of disapprobation. I mean not to extenuate the faults of those unhappy women who fall victims to guilt and folly, but surely when we reflect how many errors we are ourselves subject to, how many secret faults lie hid in the recesses of our hearts, which we should blush to have brought into open day, 
and yet those faults require the lenity and pity of a benevolent judge, or awful would be our prospect of futurity, I say, my dear madam, when we consider this, we surely may pity the faults of others. Believe me, many an unfortunate female who has once strayed into the thorny paths of vice would gladly return to virtue, was any generous friend to endeavor to raise and reassure her. But alas, it cannot be, you say. The world would deride and scoff. Then let me tell you, madam, tis a very unfeeling world and does not deserve half the blessings which a bountiful providence showers upon it. O thou benevolent giver of all good, how shall we erring mortals dare to look up to thy mercy in the great day of retribution if we now uncharitably refuse to overlook the errors or alleviate the miseries of our fellow creatures? End of chapter 18 Recording by Jill Preston